Romans chapter 6, verses 15 through 23. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? (laughs) By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You guys can have a seat. Let me pray as we get started this morning. Lord, um, We thank you for this letter that Paul wrote to Romans, to the Romans, and and for uh, all that you have taught us so far through your word. We pray this morning as we continue, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would work through the words that Uh, You have helped me to prepare, that your Holy Spirit would work in our hearts as we hear them, and that, Lord, we would be rightly convicted where we need to be convicted, and that we would be encouraged and lifted up in places that we are needing to be encouraged and lifted up, and that we would rest in the truth of what you've done for us, and yet that that rest would not be one that would... Uh, be a lack of of activity, but but one that would be um, work and effort empowered by you and your spirit and founded in the reality of what you've done. Pray all these things in your name. Amen. You know, I've heard people accuse Christianity of teaching or uh, Christians as living what some people might call cheap grace, that Jesus forgives us, so do what you want because you're forgiven. Indeed, I have to admit that for a season of my life, that is how I would have characterized myself looking back. You know, there was a time after God had saved me for a number of years where while part of me was drawn to Christ... There was 
a big part of me that was still very much stuck in sin, attracted to finding my satisfaction and solutions in everything other than Jesus. And I had all the excuses in the world during that season of my life. Well, if they hadn't done this, then I wouldn't. If this wasn't my situation, then I could do whatever. If uh, I'm doing it as reasonably as you could expect me to do, right, God? You can't really expect more of me here. I'm okay in the places that, that really matter most, maybe, I think. But something bothered me. I grew increasingly unsettled in that time. There was a tension as my understanding of who Christ was and who God was and what he was about and his character, what he expected of me. Uh, uh, there was a tension that grew in me so strong, I felt that I might be torn in two. You see, we, we all sin at times, and though God created the world good, we found out in chapter 5 of Romans that through Adam's sin, uh, sin came into the world, and all have sinned, and it's pervasive, right? Every person is corrupted by sin. Even still, Romans 3 told us that God made a way for all of us to be justified by faith, to be made righteous in his sight. Not based on what we have done, but based on what Christ has done. And again, in Romans 5, it tells us that God's grace through Christ abounds even more than sin. Thank God for that, right? But there's a difference between trying and failing and and not trying. And in and, and Romans 6, it raises two questions. And last week, we talked about the first question that Paul asks, if God's grace is always outpacing our sin, should we sin more so that there continues to be more and more grace? And what we found was the answer was no. No, God's grace means we don't have to sin. That we have the opportunity now to no longer be in sin. Doesn't mean that all sin will be removed. The presence of sin will be completely gone from our life, not at least in this life. But we don't have to sin. But there's a second question that we'll address today that Paul asks, and you can see it in verse 15. It says, Are we to sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? Or to say it another way, if it's about grace rather than about following rules, then does it even matter if I sin? Is, is that even a thing? Is that even something that I should be concerned about? Can I, on the one hand, know that I'm saved by God through Christ, and on the other hand, continue to do whatever I want in the moment? You see, we have a knack, we have a knack for excusing our sins, right? All of us are incredibly skilled in excusing our own sins. Our minds find it easy to justify the things that our hearts truly desire. There are probably a lot of versions of our excuses, but I'm going to propose a few of them, a few excuses, a few maybe uh, categories of excuses, if you will, that I think most of us fall into from time to time. The first 
category I'll call the lazy Christian. The lazy Christian, their excuse is simple. I don't want to. Like, I don't, I don't have to do all of that to be a Christian, right? It's the lazy Christian. The masked Christian, they say something like, I'm fine, really? At least in the things that matter, that people can see, I'm okay. Just don't look very closely, right? The defeated Christian. The defeated defeated Christian, their excuse goes something like this. I'm not able to. I, I don't have the ability to do that. It's just not possible in my circumstances. So, so I can't be held responsible, right? They've tried before and they've failed. And so they think that resting in Christ is just not trying anymore. And then the skeptical Christian, it won't work. Hey, look, it's not going to work anyways. It won't matter in the end. It, it's never going to turn out right in the end. So why? The, the skeptical Christian's favorite phrase is, people don't change. Oh, look, people don't change. These are our excuses. I don't know which one you turn to most often. I know that I could identify times in my life where I've used all of them, probably more than I'd like to admit, definitely more than I'd like to admit. But here's the problem. Paul's whole point in this passage, his answer to this question of whether we ought to sin more, whether we're, we're okay, it's okay to sin, that grace covers it, so it, what does it matter? His answer is this, freedom from sin isn't freedom to sin. Paul doesn't allow for any of these excuses. So last week, he was encouraging to find out that we don't have to sin. You don't have to sin. This week, my goal is to challenge you a bit by dispelling these excuses that often keep us in in our sins. So after anticipating the question in verse 15 and then answering it as he does in throughout the book of Romans, by no means, by no means, Paul asks a rhetorical question, verse 16. He says, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to to righteousness. Here's the principle, guys, that I want you to get. Everyone serves something. You serve something. You may think you serve yourself, but you don't. And Paul gives us two options. There are only two things, really, that you serve. You are either serving Christ or else you are in service to sin. And those are the only two options. And so if you are not serving Christ, actively, actively serving Christ, then you are by default serving sin. There's no neutral position. And Paul has told us already that when Christ saves us, there's this legal reality that changes, right? We are now justified despite our sins. We're justified in the eyes of God. 
by Christ, because of Christ. And we're no longer slaves. We're freed from our slavery to sin, though we were once slaves. Yet, yet there's more than just this legal status at play here, right? There is a lived experience to this. And oftentimes, though we legally are free from sin and made alive in Christ, we live as if we continue to be slaves to sin, as if we are still enslaved. Now listen, if someone is in a consistent habitual sin, presenting themselves as obedient slaves to sin, that may reveal, and we can get into this in other places of the Bible, but... But that may reveal that they are not actually saved, that that transfer, that legal status has not actually happened. But but not always. Sometimes we believe Satan's lies that we're serving ourselves or we're serving someone else or something else when in fact we are just excusing our sin. Either way, Paul's saying it's an unsatisfactory way to live. It's not how we're meant to be in Christ. It's not, that's not what it means to be united with Christ and to be alive in Christ. And so for the lazy Christian who thinks that you can just say you believe in Jesus and that's good enough and his grace means that you can kind of float through life and pick and choose, you know, when and how you want to serve him. Listen, there is no place for that, Paul says. Service to Jesus is an everyday service. It's not a Sunday morning service. It's not a when I want to service. It's not a on the days that I feel good and things are going okay service. It is an everyday service. There's a reason that Paul uses the analogy of slavery. Because you're not just a slave sometimes. So here's what I'd say. If you're a lazy, if you, if you fall into this category, if you go, man, sometimes I'm a lazy Christian, <laughs> wake up and get off the couch. Get off the couch. Start serving Christ. And so Paul's going to go on in this passage. He's going to show us why, why this is by giving us a, a fact And then he's going to give us a command, and then he's going to give us another fact, if you will, a a truth. In other words, there is something that we need to do, but he's going to sandwich what we need to do with two slices of what God has done for us, all right? So I've got to use a food analogy whenever possible. So that's my sandwich analogy today. So the first fact, the first truth, the first thing that God has done for us, we find in verses 17 through 18, it says, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. Here's the principle. Our allegiance, if you are in Christ, if your faith is in him, your allegiance has changed. That is a completed project. God has done that. As Christians, we were slaves to sin, but we have become obedient 
to something else. We have been set free. That's, there's a, that legal transfer has happened. God has bought us out of slavery from sin with the price of the blood of his son. And now Jesus is our master and we're a slave to him. And when that happens, two things occur. The moment we decide that Jesus is our Lord, right? And we surrender to that, two things happen. First, it says that we are enabled to be obedient from the heart. See, whereas many of our, the behaviors of Christians or, and of maybe first century Jews may be similar in, in moral terms, But when our allegiance changes, there comes with it this miraculous heart change by the Holy Spirit, wherein we are no longer motivated primarily by fear and desperation to make ourselves righteous. Instead, we are motivated by love and gratitude that we are already found righteous in God's eyes. And Paul says, indeed, we are slaves to righteousness now. That God has done this. And so we can be obedient, not just on the surface, not just to to, to look good to someone else, but from the heart. That, that, That this change happens where we actually begin to want to be obedient. That our hearts are actually transformed by him. And then secondly, it says that we're obedient to a standard of teaching to which you were committed. Now, now committed means here to be handed over to. Something is handed over to. And there are two ways you could read this in the, in the English. You could, you could read it as a standard of teaching has been handed over to you as a Christian. Or that we as Christians have been handed over to a standard of teaching. Either there's an active sense or a passive sense. And the grammar of the Greek here is indisputable. It is saying that we, Christian, have been handed over to a standard of teaching. It's not that the teaching is handed over to you. That's not what Paul is saying here. He's saying that that we, that, that by what God has done, we have been handed over to this standard of teaching. There is a way in which Christians ought to live. And it's defined by God's word and by his gospel. And when our master changed to Jesus, we were privileged with the ability to live that out now. We were handed over to it. An old confession of faith states this point like this. And I I love the way it said it, so I wanted to read it. It It says, quote, The liberty which Christ hath purchased for believers under the gospel consists in their yielding obedience unto him, not out of slavish fear, but a childlike love and a willing mind. That is freedom in Christ, a a yielding obedience to him out of love and willingness. So for the masked Christian who thinks they can just kind of look the part at the right times and and that's good enough in the right places, uh, depending on whatever standard uh, that they've decided based on whoever's approval that they're seeking to get, 
I want you to know that there's only one whose approval really matters. And here's the wild thing about this. If you're in him, you already have his approval. He's already approved of you based on Christ. And now he's handed you over to live in a way that is approved. I was thinking about this. When, whether uh, as a child to a parent or whether uh, as a husband to a spouse or to, to your wife, when you know that that person has already approved of you, that no matter what happens, no matter if you mess up, if you, if you succeed, that that person loves you, isn't going to throw you to the side, but, but approves of you, respects you, honors you, loves you, no matter what. There is a there's a, an, an empowering that happens, a confidence that happens to move forward in the way that you know you ought to move forward, in the way that would make them happy, proud to be your spouse, to be your parent, right? But when you don't have that, it's almost crippling, immobilizing. You're constantly afraid that you might lose what little you have or you might not be able to gain what you want. But here's the wonderful thing in Christ. He's already approved you. And even when you mess up, he forgives you and you're still his son, his daughter. And there's something about that that gives you footing to now move forward in a way that he would approve. And to do so from, not just, not just from the outside looks, but, but from our very hearts. And so, that's what God has done. And so now there is something that we are to do, Paul says. Look at verse 19. He says, I'm speaking in human terms because of, of, of your natural limitations. Paul is saying here that he understands that this, this illustration, this analogy of slavery uh, has limitations to it, that, that we would think of slavery as inherently negative, that we wouldn't want to be a slave. And yet he continues paradoxically to use this analogy. He goes, look, I know this is you know, I got to use this analogy because your natural limitations, but it works. It works for what I'm trying to communicate. So I'm going to use it anyways. And, and here's why. He says, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Slavery to sin or impurity leads more, to more and more lawlessness. Look, you know this from your life. You've lived this, Right? Sin comes and tempts you, and you say yes to it, and you open that door, and you walk through that door into this new sin, and then the very next thing is it tempts you to go through the next door, right? And you go through that door, and it's one step deeper into that sin, and then there's another door, and it tempts you to go into that door, and it just continues more and more lawlessness, right? Until you're so deep in it that it truly does feel like slavery. And yet, Paul says that if we would 
if we would present our members as slaves to righteousness, if we would begin to work back through those doors the other way, that we would move to more and more sanctification. That is, that, that God would, that there'd be this cutting away or pruning off of all the things that hinder us from being what God created us to be. Listen, the, the consistent message of the Bible is this, that, that God is holy and he makes his people holy, so be who you are. You are made righteous in Christ. So now be the thing that God has made you. Here's the principle. True freedom is submission to the right authority. True freedom in life is submission to the right authority. There's an illusion of freedom that we have that just actually doesn't exist. We have in our minds that true freedom is submission to nothing. I submit to nothing. I am totally free to do whatever I want to do. But in reality, those desires or whatever, and whoever delivers those desires to us, that becomes our master. That becomes the authority we now serve. We become slaves sometimes without even realizing our slavery. And listen, when you seek even a good thing by submitting to the wrong thing, you end up with the bad thing, right? For the Christian, freedom from sin is freedom to serve the God who designed us, who knows us best, knows how we function, who saved us, knows how, what he has made us into now in Christ, and he knows how best we are to be restored. And he's given us all of that, all we need for that, right here in his word. Listen, if my son is out helping me with a, a project, let's say, and I give him permission, I give him freedom to use a power tool. Say, use this power tool, finish this project. I give him freedom to use it as he pleases. I don't give him any instruction. I don't give him any boundaries. At best, he's going to be frustrated as he uses it in some way it's not intended to be used. And at worst, he's going to severely maim himself, right? Like if I'm saying like, hey, here's a circular saw, go cut some boards. Like that's probably not going to end well if I don't give him any instruction on how to use. I hardly know how to use a circular saw, let's be honest. Like I can never cut a straight line with that thing. Amen. Thanks. Thanks. Listen, freedom from sin isn't freedom to sin. Freedom from sin is freedom to serve righteousness, to serve obedience, to serve God. And this service results in sanctification. Why? Because God knows what we don't know. And he's given us boundaries and limitations and instruction because he knows how we function best and how the world ought to have functioned because he created it from nothing. 
And so we are to progressively and increasingly trim out the sin in our life, trim out the impurity that isn't obedience to God. And we increasingly surrender areas of our life to him. And as those hindrances are cut away, we are free to flourish as a person, as the person that God created us to be. And listen, I know there's sin in the world and there continues to be sin in our life and continues to be sin in other people's life and in the world at large that will hinder that. But as we continue to be sanctified, we flourish more and more. Thus doing what God would have us to do, it takes effort, right? But it doesn't start with effort. It starts with surrender. And so to the defeated Christian who says, look, I'm not able to, Paul's message is this, yeah, you, you aren't. You're right, you're not able to. Not on your own. If you're trying to do it on your own power, of course. But our response isn't to give up or to not try. Our response is to trust God first. To trust Him, not ourselves. To surrender to Him and then out of reliance on him to continue to work towards sanctification. And, I un- and listen, I understand that that doesn't seem to happen as quickly as we want, right? I don't know about you, but I haven't been sanctified quite as quickly as I would wish to be sanctified. I could name some areas that I wish I was sanctified in quicker, but you may not want me to be your pastor anymore. I've been there, but he assures us, he assures us that sanctification will result. We will become more like Christ. Oftentimes the problem is that we say that we are surrendered to Jesus, but in reality, we like to continue to hold veto power. Yes, I want to become more like you, Jesus, but but just... uh, but I'm going to continue to have veto power because I don't want to do it in that way. I don't want to give up that thing. So if, so if you do that, Jesus, but just in the way that I want you to do that, then I'm okay. But that ain't how God works. He, he, he isn't interested in being half your master. He wants, he's, he's all, all or nothing. Listen, Jesus knows better. And even if there may be a season when we don't understand uh, or it may not feel good what he's doing in our life, may not understand how he's doing it or why he's doing it in the way he is, he promises that he will make us his pure and spotless, unblemished wife. That's what he promises his church. But we ask, will it be worth it in the end? Man, this is a lot of work sometimes. This is hard. It hurts. Will it be worth it in the end? We have, we have this fear. We have this fear of giving up the lesser thing that we know, that, that's kind of comforting because we know it, for this thing that, that seems to us unknown. It seems to us like, oh, will, will this turn out okay? We oftentimes fall for the lesser known but sure commodity that sin delivers us instead of what Christ promised us. Paul, he ends 
with another fact, though. And I, and I love this. I love how he keeps ending with this, these promises of God. Verse 20 through 22. He asks, what fruit did you get from your slavery to sin? What a, what a pointed question. Oh, yeah, how's that working out for you? Hey, guys, how's that sin working? Going good? Shame, death, that, has that been a pretty good result, pretty good outcome? You see, while sinning may seem good in the immediate, it ultimately leads to shame and death. It kills you while you are still living, and then it kills you again. That's what sin does. The Bible says elsewhere, it's sweet in your mouth, but bitter in your stomach. Man, I, I tell you what, if you, haven't, you don't have to live very long to experience that. Verse 22, freedom from sin isn't freedom to sin. Here's, here's the principle. Freedom from sin is freedom to be a slave to God. That's what freedom from sin is. The fruit that comes from that is sanctification. And here's what he promises. Sanctification leads to life. And he puts it all together in verse 23, which kind of wraps it up. He says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. When you are a slave to sin, it, produ- it does produce a wage, and that wage is death. That's what you earn. But slavery to God, that's a gift. That's a gift that God has granted you. We don't earn that, but we live it out. We live out what he's given us. And he says that the, in the end, the promise is eternal life. And so for the skeptical Christian who thinks, look, this isn't going to work out in the end. Like I, I've seen, like people don't change. Understand. If you're speaking about a Christian, that it's impossible for a Christian to change yourself or someone else. I want you to know that it's not the person's ability that you're skeptical of. It's the ability of the Holy Spirit to do what he promised he'd do. That's what you are skeptical of. It's not the person you are doubting. It's God you're doubting. It's God you don't trust because he promised he'll do it. You're saying it's not possible that the Holy Spirit could change that person. And listen, I know, I know that we will never achieve perfection. And I know that some people won't change. But that's different than saying that they can't, that it's not possible. The Bible says that God can and does transform us. I think oftentimes we want to control how and when that happens, but then we're not surrendering to God again, right? So I had come uh, at this point in my life to this spiritual crossroads, and, and I've had I've had similar moments since then, but, but I don't think any quite so profound and quite so difficult as this one. And maybe you've been there at some point too. Maybe you're there right now where you feel like you've been trying to head in two different directions, one towards Christ and one towards 
something else. And, and you are feeling the tension of that. You're feeling torn by that. On the one hand, it was undeniable that God had done something in me. He had saved me. I knew that. Uh, there's a lot of other things I didn't understand about him, but I knew that much. And on the other hand, there were these areas of my life where I was doing whatever I thought I wanted and as much as I felt like I could get away with it. A decision needed to be made. Either I was going to start trusting God with everything or I was going to start trusting everything else instead of God. Either I was going to surrender, actually surrender to him. Or I need to stop playing Christian. By God's grace, because of what he had done in me, I'm venturing to guess you can guess which path I took. It's easy now to look back and go, well, of course. Of course, that's what I did. But I can assure you in that moment, it was quite difficult. When you feel like there's no assurances that things are going to work out, at least in this life, it's really hard to let go of what little you have. I, I get that tension. Perhaps you're feeling it today in some area of your life. But as soon as I, as I decided to start surrendering everything to God, not that, not that, it, that I did all of that at once, not that, that I surrendered every single area or whatever, but, but once I made the decision that that was what I was going to begin to do, and I set my mind to that, I want you to know there were sacrifices that happened. There were very legitimate sacrifices. Nothing was off limits anymore. Uh, my life, friendships changed, relationships changed, jobs changed, hobbies changed, the way I spent my, everything changed. Everything began to change. And I'm going to tell you that I struggled. And for quite some time, the circumstances around my life, they weren't tangibly different. It wasn't like immediately God just made all these great blessings come to me because I was surrendering to him. No, it was hard. But I had to stop asking the question, how much sin can I get away with and still be following Jesus? And I had to begin asking the question, what needs to be surrendered so I can follow Jesus more? If he is everything that I believe he is, why would I not want more of him instead? Listen, I've continued to have these little pockets of my life where I realize that I'm not actually living as a slave to God, where, where I realize that in this area, I've, I'm excusing my sins. But, but in the end, in the end, whenever I have chosen sin and I've excused it, I've ended up regretting it. Wherever I've chosen Christ, I've never once regretted that decision. Never once. It's not always worked out the way I wanted. I'll tell you that. I've not always got the thing I wanted or the thing I thought I needed, but I've never regretted it. Your freedom from sin isn't freedom to sin. It's slavery to God. And somehow, 
by God's grace, it's better than any illusion of freedom that the world offers. Let's pray. God, we're so thankful for your grace. We're so thankful that when we couldn't possibly, we were unable to obey you sufficiently, to obey you at all, that you've promised to your son to save us, to justify us, to make us righteous. And Lord, we, God, I pray that you would help us to believe that more and more. That you would weed out the areas of unbelief in our life that cause us to, to live as if we're slaves to sin again, and that we would surrender those things to you. Lord, would you transform us today? Or else in your name. Amen. You know, part of